Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource. It's free. You should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to this podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step-by-step step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running. That's my blog remix method, and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to thank my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. Hey everybody, welcome to a, another episode of Distribution First. Super pumped for this one. Get to have my buddy Silvio on. Silvio Perez is the founder and CEO of Ad Conversion, a digital advertising academy launching soon that teaches B2B marketers how to scale paid ads for free, regardless of your skill level. That means even I could take it and learn something, which I probably will at some point. So Silvio, awesome to have you on. Thank you so much, Justin. I'm so pumped to be here. Sweet. Yeah. So you were one of the first people I thought to bring on the show because when I think about distribution overall, I think it's easy to think about organic social. I think it's easy to even think about certain things like email or different kind of organic channels. But at least for me, one I typically don't think about is paid ads and running paid content and using paid as a distribution channel. So the way I kind of want to frame up the conversation to start is... We both worked at high-growth SaaS startups. We've done things on our own. Now we're both building our own thing. And I think one of the gaps at companies tends to be a silo of content on one side, demand gen, paid ads on the other. And you kind of hope they merge at different points, but maybe there's not always yeah. that clear line of communication or you know, we're not always working on the same page. So I kind of want to talk through that a little. The Venn diagram doesn't happen. <laughs> there's no Venn diagram. You know, if anybody's watching this, there's no Venn diagram happening. It's like, hey, what content did we put out last month? Oh, I didn't even know we did that. Oh, we have that? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like we could be running paid ads. Like I've literally been in those conversations before or like, oh, we're we're going after these keywords on, on Google. What are we ranking for organically? Like I've been in those conversations before. So I think how I want to frame the conversation is let's sort of talk through if we were starting at a company together, like what are the things that demand gen, paid ads, and content should be talking about? Such a big question. The first thing is 
what do we need to prioritize? So really thinking about how can we focus on, you know, the definition of productivity essentially is like inputs to outputs, right? Maximizing things that drive the greatest output based on the input. So what are those inputs? What are those priorities that what's the 80-20, another way said, that we need to focus on that will yield the greatest output? So for example, one of the things you you hit on is, do we have a clear content strategy in place? What does our promotion calendar look like? How many pieces of content are we going to produce? What are the core channels we want to focus on? I think on the content side, first, you need to dial that in, the overall content strategy. What does that look like from a production process? And then from the paid side and the merging of the two is paid will get involved on the promotion side. So once you map out your content strategy, let's say you want to focus on growing the YouTube channel and that's your main thing. And you're like, I'm going to post two videos a week. So we know we need to outline, film, script, et cetera, these many videos. Once those videos are live, we're going to take the video, we're going to cut it up into YouTube shorts. Those YouTube shorts are going to get posted on YouTube on these days, right? You have your content calendar. We're going to put it on LinkedIn, et cetera. So then from there, you have the calendar in place. So now that content calendar just doesn't inform your marketing director, your content team, whoever's involved in that, but it also informs your paid ads team, you know, your people on the demand gen side. So then they can take that content that you're already posting to your company page and they can boost it through ads to further guarantee distribution. Yeah, totally. And, th- and I think that that's a great place to start because <laughs> if there's no content strategy in place, it can be tough for the paid ads person to just try to run with whatever. The way you create demand, right? The, the goal of demand creation is to build brand affinity and trust so that there is an interest or desire for your product or service, right? And the way that you create brand affinity and trust today online is typically through content. Because through content, you're able to deliver results in advance. You're able to get people to know, like, and trust you, right? This is where we can debate on types of content like video versus image, text, etc. Typically speaking, this is why video is so powerful because you can build a relationship. So when I'm talking with companies and they want to create demand, I'm not a content marketer. I mean, I, I'm definitely a content marketer, but that's not my, you know, my wheelhouse in terms of what I do for people. But it, I can't tell you how often when I'm talking to companies, it's like I kind of become a content strategist <laughs> because they want to create demand, but they don't have a solid content strategy in place. And paid ads when it comes to demand creation is like the last, almost the last two steps in the entire ladder. There's so much before that on just laying the foundations of your content strategy. Yeah, messaging, themes, audience, (laughs) all that type of stuff. If you don't have those things in place. Yeah, I have this one client where they were doing the demand creation playbook, right? Ungated their content. They're pushing it through social and they've been doing it for a while for like nine months and they haven't really seen a positive result. And when we looked into it, it was really two things. One, the targeting could be better in terms of the ad side. But the other one was the content itself wasn't truly, it wasn't good enough. And I think oftentimes, and even in like personal lives and things like that, but specifically when it comes to content, Companies think because they gave their best effort, their best shot, that their piece of content that they created was good. But there's a difference between what you think is good and what is required in order to stand out. And that gap is a harsh reality 
and the market determines what's actually great. So that's where when you are deploying content and you're promoting it through your campaigns, especially for demand creation, you're looking at things like click-through rate, engagement, time on site, different metrics like this to understand, are people resonating with the content? Is it actually working? Because if the content isn't good, and that's the input, right? Going back to the input versus the outputs, if you can create an amazing piece and it's genuinely helpful and people are resonating with it, then the output is gonna be really easy, right? And oftentimes you know you have great content that is worthy of ad dollars when it's already doing really good organically on its own. Yeah, and I one of the things too is when you're talking about content, and I'm even learning this too with the stuff that I'm, I'm repurposing for my content and for this show, is it is a totally different ball game to create, and I don't even wanna use valuable, <laughs> but I just did, I don't wanna use that term, but to be able to create interesting content that somebody's like actually interested in and wanna, wants to consume, there's so much content out there now that lazy distribution, lazy repurposing is not going to get you anywhere. Like clips, having clips is no different than having writing a tweet. Like it doesn't mean it was good. It just means you posted it. And so when you're talking about the client not having the right content to distribute and put it out there, it, sometimes it's really small things. It's, did we wait on a 30 second clip, did we wait 15, 20 seconds to get to the point? Did we lead them in? Like, was there anything to catch them? I mean, I'm sure you know that with like the YouTube shorts, with the TikToks, with the, all that type of video content. You got to be able to hook them in first. You got to be able to hook them in early. And I think a lot of people, I, I was talking with somebody last week about this and the idea that you can just post something and that's good enough it's not even close. And then when you're talking about putting ad dollars and putting money behind it, it's even worse. It's just putting gasoline on a, on a horrible fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's remarkable. You know, the shift to just um, like for SEO specifically, right? You know, the typical playbook is people are constantly producing articles and they're just kind of creating for the sake of creating. They're not taking a step back to really understand, like they don't understand that you could have one keyword that ranks organically for multiple different queries, like multiple different search terms, you know? So like, it's more about relevance and, and experience than it is just, we have to cover every single keyword. We have to create a unique piece of content for every keyword, et cetera. And oftentimes companies can start making better content, more interesting content, more insightful content, by reducing the amount of pieces that they're focusing on, right? They're just too spread out. Like most content marketing managers that I talk to, they're great people and they genuinely like know these things and they wanna create content that resonates and they're passionate about it. I mean, they're spending so much time writing these, these articles and these pieces for it to just kind of go nowhere and then not get any recognition for it, it sucks. So oftentimes like with my clients, that are, if they're in that situation and I have to kind of put my content strategist hat on, I'm like, hey, can we stop doing so much and focus on less? But the few things that we make are freaking epic. So for example, instead of just posting one article a week, because we just, that's what we've been doing for the last however many years of this company, can we focus on doing one article a month but that one article is like the ultimate guide 
the best listicle, you know what I mean? The definitive, and it has not just our own insights that we've pulled, but we've also contributed with like other subject matter experts. We asked them to get involved and get their perspective on what they think about this topic, right? We've added their quotes to it. We've took the time to source our own data. So we have unique insights, right? So really focusing on quality and the amount of work per piece and then involving other people in the creation process so that when it's actually available, now you have buy-in from the subject matter experts, right? They want to share it because they're involved in the process. So you use content, not just as a means of creating an audience and getting distribution and promotion, but also as a means of creating relationships, right? Because now, because I'm producing this content, that can be my end to start building this relationship with this subject matter expert, who then I can then leverage that relationship in other ways in the future. Yeah, and honestly, that that works internally as well. There, I was talking about this the other day with somebody where the the subject matter experts are often very busy people who do not have time. They're busy doing their own thing. They don't have time to help you with the content. They're not thinking about how, how to do it on their own. They've got their own jobs that they're trying to. I mean, we de- I dealt this with you and we were meditating. I was like, Silvio, I need help. Yeah. Help me out. And you're like, I'd love to, but I'm trying to do like a thousand other things. Yep. So like, I get that from that perspective too. But if you can build those relationships internally, and again, if you're doing one a month where you're like, hey, I need help on this particular thing. Like, can we sit down for 30 minutes and maybe I would just record it or, you know, now you've got all the stuff that you can work on with with those um, subject matter experts, it's less lift to have to, we're trying to do four things. I mean, I live that life. That's why all of my philosophies around distribution first, around simplifying like this sort of like minimalism within marketing, like that's how I think about marketing because I ran the other life of like, hey, blog team, hey, content team, we have to be creating all the time and we have to be so focused on publishing so much stuff out because that's what our audience needs. We need to get stuff ranking on Google. The more we rank on Google, the more downloads we get, the more downloads we get. And it's just like this horrendous cycle that you never, ever... And then you realize that there's a thing called content decay and that every single piece of... Once I got this, it just changed my perspective on everything. It's like every time you publish an article, you're not done. It's like every article that you publish on your website, it is now a binding marriage of something that you need to maintain and give attention to so that it continues to, you know, be fruitful and produce what you want. Every single piece. So those companies that are just on this content factory hamster wheel and they have thousands of articles, that's thousands of things that you need to maintain now, which is just ridiculously overwhelming. And if you are in that bucket, what I would recommend you do is you start to really think about how you can start to consolidate your content pieces together. So if you have like six fragmented articles, can you put it together to be like the ultimate one thing, you know, and it's like on that. So you can start to reduce the the amount of content assets that you you have to manage, uh, especially if you're a small team. Oh yeah. Thousand percent. Like I, I remember when I took over the blog and my very first like sort of corporate, you know, I went from writer to like managing this thing. And I started looking through and like auditing. We had, I'm not even joking, at least for multiple topics, probably five to 10 topics, we had at least three to five articles that were almost the same thing. They were just written by a different author or written in a different year. And it was like, why do we have, like, literally these things are competing for each other, not only in Google, but just in like, which one do you link to? I see we have two pieces, like which one's, 
the right one. I see we made two videos. Which one's the most authoritative one that we should be sharing? And it just becomes, yeah, the more complex you make things, A, it just muddies up your your stream of like understanding what you have, but then it also makes it really hard to execute because now you're constantly, like you said, you're not only having to constantly create new stuff, you have to constantly be updating your stuff as well. Yeah, you, you can't scale complicated, keep things simple and keep it lean and effective. And then once you have like, so strip away first, right? Hack away at all the non-essential things. And then once you do get to the point where you know you are producing quality as governed by what the market is telling you, when you're putting that content out there, people are rewarding you with likes and engagement, more inbound volume, higher rankings, et cetera, right? Once you get to that point and you know the formula is working, now start to think, how can we scale production so that we can do quality and quantity, right? So if that means bringing on more contractors, increasing your marketing team size, whatever that looks like. But you, if you don't get that right first, even on the repurposing, you're just gonna be repurposing shit, <laughs> you know? So you have to fix that core element first, you know, going back to the first principle, solve the problem, don't treat the symptom so that everything else you can start to bear fruit. Yeah. There's no difference between whether it's paid ads, whether it's organic distribution, whatever it is, if it's bad at the top, and I feel like I've said this like in a hundred episodes or like every episode I've done so far, but like if that content is bad at the top, it doesn't matter what you do with it. It's bad. And so, like you said, focus on, on creating things of quality that actually matter, create one really good thing versus 10 really bad ones. I'm curious, what were kind of your suggestions or even if it wasn't for that client, like somebody comes in and the content's not great. Like what are your suggestions to like up the content, especially when these like these short window, like for an ad, for instance? I've just been down the road so much that like, I know where it's going to lead if we do some hacky things and we try to not address the core problem. So what I do with those clients is I honestly just focus on content, repurposing those assets to known audiences. So retargeting. So we'll set up a retargeting layer where it's, we're mixing in content and then we're also mixing in offers and we're just using that content to nurture our existing, you know, pool of people that are familiar with us. But as far as trying to go after new audiences, it's tough. So Typically, we'll try to solve the real issue right for, before moving forward. And then what we'll do in the meantime is from a paid perspective, I'm a big believer in starting from the bottom and working up in terms of focus. So don't focus on creating demand first. So I created this whole framework called the five stages. So it's create, capture, accelerate, revive, expand. And if you're a product-led company, instead of accelerate, it's activate, where you're trying to activate free trial users. But essentially start from the bottom, work your way up, right? Can you drive more revenue? from existing customers first? Do you have some sort of referral program? No, yes, move on to the next stage. Is there deals that are currently open that we can push content in front of so that we can try to reduce the sales cycle length? Yes, no, okay, move on to the next stage. Do you have deals that you've lost that we can bring back, right? They already expressed interest in the past. Yes, no, move on to the next stage. All right, now let's focus on capture. Are we really capturing? the demand in our market, you know, and we always use the analogy of like 3% of your market is in buying mode. Nobody really freaking knows, let's be honest, what the percentage is. Generally speaking, in my experience, greater TAM, greater amount of time you can spend in market capturing demand, right? Smaller TAM, you're going to hit a ceiling wall much sooner. But are you really 
fundamentally executing well to capture demand, right? And people often just think of like Google ads, like Google search or things like that. But that's just like the bare minimum. I mean, there's paid review channels. You can buy uh, third-party intent data sources to expand on social. You can, obviously there's remarketing, there's other channels as well. Like people just consider LinkedIn, Facebook, Google. YouTube is massive for capturing demand because it's literally owned by the number one search engine in the world, Google, and you can target based on intent. So there's a lot to be done there. So usually with my clients, we're focusing on the bottom up first so that in the meantime that they're fixing their content core problems, we're trying to maximize as much demand as we can, right? If you have to sell a hamburger, start with the people who are hungry. Don't try to convince the people who are vegan, they're not hungry, et cetera. And then we'll start to break into the demand creation. But I'm super jaded and I'm super hesitant to start creating demand if the content isn't there. And, and like a very small starting point too is we'll produce like one asset and then we'll really, like for example, my one client is we're really focusing and refining in our ICP. So instead of trying to, they're in the HR space. So instead of going after like everyone in HR, we're going after a very specific subset and we're working on producing content that's unique to that subset. So, and that content that's being produced is, is legit where, you know, it's refined, et cetera. So we're starting on a smaller perspective before needing, we need to have like content for all different personas, all different, you know what I mean? Like it's overwhelming. So we're just doing it on a small scale and then doing a small pilot. So for the top of the funnel or the demand creation, whatever you want to, however you want to label it, what are companies typically doing? Like, even if the content's bad, like what are the mistakes they're making? Are they just like doing an ad to a bad blog link? Are they sharing a bad video? Or are they just pushing product to top of funnel? Like what are the mistakes that companies are doing with that? Like we know we need good content. What are the mistakes they're doing that are running bad content? Yeah, number one, they're not repurposing the content in terms of native best practices. So they'll have, let's just use a, a blog as an example. They'll have a blog, but then when they promote the blog, it's like a 1200 by 628 banner. There's a button in, in the ad. Like it, it just screams I'm an ad versus running it as a carousel. And the carousel speaks to different points within the blog and carousels work really well natively on LinkedIn. So piggybacking on that, that type of asset through an ad and then promoting it. It's like when they start to think about distribution, they have this amazing content piece that they created, but then they're like, okay, well, how do we create an ad for it? when it's like, wait, no, 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 you missed it. It's the same thing that you posted natively, organically, what we're gonna just boost it as an ad. So just really thinking through like, what are those native best practices, giving people an insight on what to expect, especially if you're sending people off platform is really important. So that's where I really like carousels right now, especially for like blog type content. If you're doing a podcast, they'll have a podcast, but then when they create video clips, they won't put it in like a 1200 by 1200 with like a title on the top and captions on the bottom, like the typical format that we see. So they'll, they'll just miss the mark there. And all you're doing with paid from a demand creation perspective, for the most part, is you're just taking, again, that content that people love, and then you're just distributing it with ad dollars, right? And then you're just testing different ad types to see what can drive the best engagement. So whether that's a carousel, or that's an image ad. You're just trying to see what drives the best click-through rate and then obviously what has the best time and engagement and things like that. Yeah, dude, I, like my brain is just going here because I think I love where you went with that. And I think there's so many parallels for 
folks listening with organic content. So like you had said, like, yeah, you just want to like do the, you know, put money behind like the same organic content you did. Well, there's a whole lot of horrendous organic content that gets put out there. And I think like what you said was interesting because frame up your, whether it's organic or paid, your social, your distributed content, even email, whatever that is, like frame up that content natively for platform. If the content isn't, like you said, nobody's going to LinkedIn to read a blog post. They're not. Nobody's going, you know, to these channels to get off the channel and and try to do something. And I think we want to believe that. We really like want to, but then our actions are bad because like even organically, I think it's funny. The most posts are still like ads for the thing. It's like, yeah, even organically like it. I have this new blog post rather than like give the value away for it. Even the like I see this all the time, even with companies that I respect, it's still like, hey, like we just launched this thing. You know, maybe they give a line of value, but like make sure to go check it out. And I'm like, I'm never going to go check it out. Like, I, I'm just not I'm just not going to. So why not repackage that information and get that in there so that somebody could actually consume it? I'm curious what your thoughts are. I've been talking with people about this. I'm curious what your thoughts are on it as far as like measuring or like understanding how to measure the content in that way. Because I think traditionally everything goes back to Google Analytics. Can we see the view that we got from LinkedIn that got clicked off of that? And I think what I'm more interested in, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, what I'm more interested in is content consumption. I'm not necessarily concerned that you consumed the content in the LinkedIn carousel or you consumed the content on the podcast or you consumed the content in the YouTube video. Like, did you consume the content on platform? Like, it's my job to distribute that content natively on all those platforms so that you don't have to read the blog post on my website. Yep. So it's two things. On the one hand, the answer to this question is how do you measure overall success when it comes to demand creation and like a content initiative? And then on the other hand, it's like, what are we looking at in terms of like performance marketing management as the, you know, campaign managers when it comes to the day to day, it's just like media arbitrage. Like we're testing different ad types. We're looking at the engagement by ad type and we're basically trying to see how can we distribute this content in the cheapest way with the most engagement, like simply put like floor level. That's really what we're doing. And that's when we're starting to, we're doing like carousel versus video versus image. And we're testing or split testing all these different things. We're setting bid caps to see, Hey, can we force LinkedIn to distribute this, but at a cheaper cost, if we use awareness versus engagement, will we drive more unique clicks to our landing page at a cheaper cost, which by the way, totally run that test. I'm seeing good stuff with engagement. So this is like the the dials and that's kind of what we're optimizing right on the paid side but again the input needs to be good overall as a program right and a stage of focus in the business and trying to create demand on the quantitative side at the highest of levels what you need to have is you need to have a blended view that allows you to see month over month quarter over quarter what is the total inbound performance so all of the demos opportunities, revenue created from paid. So specifically by certain channels, so like Google, et cetera, whatever you're able to attribute, but then you need the blended overall view that shows you organic as well. So you take all of your paid contribution, all of your organic contribution, and you divide it by your media spend in that time frame, so that you get your blended cost per. So your blended cost per demo, your blended cost per opportunity. And that's essentially like your 
guiding light as a marketing team. You look at that blended overall view because that's what all of you guys are getting judged on at the end of the day, right? And if you notice that the blended count is going up and the blended cost per is going down, that means your media is being effective, right? And you're improving your efficiencies. You're getting a greater pipe to spend. And that, again, that blended view is really important because you're not going to get that last touch attribution for these efforts. So that's the first thing you need to do. And a lot of my clients, when I'm auditing their measurement systems, I'm like, do you have a view that allows you to see blended overall performance and individual channel performance? So for the things that are direct response, we can measure them on a one-to-one -one basis, right? And improve and optimize. So this is why, again, again, going back to like, what's the primary stage is really important because how you measure is different. So that's at the highest of levels. Most companies don't have that. And they only have the channel view. They don't have that holistic view Right. And if I was a CMO or a VP of marketing, that's like the one of the first things I'm going to install in my team to be a guiding light. Right. And that's how you go to the board and you get more budget for demand creation because you show them, hey, our blended overall efficiency is increasing. Right. We're driving more inbound pipeline at a better cost and a better return. They see that it's very easy for them to say, OK, yeah, what you're doing is obviously working. Here's more money. Right. Where people also go wrong is they'll they'll try to sell the value of this stuff. And they're like, well, our click-through rate is 6% on this ad, you know, and the CPC is $3. And then they're trying to get buy-in. Like, it's not going to happen. So you need that first. Assuming you have that, the next thing you need is you need to look at the qualitative and the quantitative on the front end. So you're leading metrics. So this is where the Google Analytics stuff comes in on the quantitative side, right? Are people... Actually, if it's a blog, what's the time on page, the engagement rate, right? How many pages per session are they looking at? What is our returning visitors looking like month over month? Is that increasing? Are we getting more returning traffic? What's the engagement on our ads? Who's liking? Who's commenting? Right? That's all on that. On the qualitative side, it's like, what are people saying? When people sign up for a demo, are they referencing our content? That was a big deal for us, right, at Metadata. People mentioning Demand Gen U. We set up a, a keyword alert in Gong. Every time somebody said Demand Gen U, we got notified. What is the market saying, right, in response of your content? Here's a really good litmus test to know if what you're putting out is actually good. When you stop doing it, do people reach out to you saying, hey, why aren't you posting content? Right? We want to hear from you. That's a great litmus test. That's a great one to ask before you publish something. Even, I mean, even for me, right? Like as, as somebody who's constantly creating content and helping other people do that, it's, it is easy to fall in the trap of just like, I've got to get this stuff out. I've got to be able to, you know, create something and, and get it out there. But man, if you ask yourself that question before you even start creating something, like, will somebody miss this if it's gone? Like that is like just massive. Cause I bet, I mean, man, there's so much content that gets made where it's just like, and I've made it. I've made that content before where it's like, I know that this is just getting made to be made. It's not a piece of content that I would even say I was proud of. And so I think having that, and it ties right back to what we talked about earlier with being able to create less than having to create so much stuff, but like create things that people would miss if it's not there. Can you do that as a company? Yeah. And the hardest part too is removing your bias because- Depending on, you know, for us, marketers selling to marketers metadata, it was easier to understand what they want because we are them. But like, if you switch your vertical and now you're selling into manufacturing or HR, et cetera, it's a completely different person and they consume content differently. For example, like gated content is a huge taboo in marketing, but in other industries, I'm sure like 
some folks could care less. You know, they're not as jaded. They're not on the internet as often. We can go down the rabbit hole of like gated versus ungated. For me, at the end of the day, it's like, just run the math. Like, look at if the goal is to drive more consumption, look at like your cost per opt-in, right? And then you kind of look through the throughput versus not gating it. And then you kind of have your answer on what makes sense. But again, it's not about what we think. It's about what they care about. And that's the hardest part. And that's where you have to make sure that you're looking at these metrics to guide you as much as you can. So it's like on the qualitative and the quantitative side. Yeah. And to understand too, that stuff changes all the time. The things that worked last year at this time probably aren't working this year at this time. And so if you're not in the weeds, I think that's part of it too, is like, unless you're in the weeds, like figuring out how to do some of these things, especially on these social platforms where each and every one of them, yes, they have some things that can transfer over, but each one of them is unique in how you build those. And this idea, I know for like on the organic side in particular, it's sort of comical to just say, oh, hey, yeah, let's, uh, let's try to be everywhere. Let's just distribute our content because just distributing isn't good enough anymore. You have to be able to interact with the audience on those platforms, understand the nuances, be able to build a relationship with people. Just posting and ghosting is probably one of the worst things you can do. I don't like, I'm curious from your standpoint on the paid ad side, like, is it worth, is it different or is it worth like saying, Hey, we're not actively posting anything like Facebook would maybe be a great one. We're not actually posting anything organically because the reach is horrendous, but we run paid ads there. Like, does that make sense or? That's a huge advantage of running ads. So every platform follows the same life cycle. First, it's like the wild, wild west. You get crazy reach, TikTok, especially earlier. Now they're starting to sway, but the reach is still great, but they want to get as many influencers involved, creators, et cetera, get as much reach possible, make it super shareable. Eventually it starts to reach a point in the, the life cycle where now they start to introduce advertising, you know, pay to play. Then eventually they start to throttle the reach more and more. This is where the platform itself needs to balance that. Facebook did a horrendous job with this, where now the organic reach is so freaking bad that it's from a content perspective and building an audience. I don't see many people trying to build Facebook pages these days. It's not a very effective strategy. Groups is the only thing. <laughs> yeah. But from an advertising perspective, like Facebook is one of the largest social platforms in the world still, and you can guarantee visibility and people are logging into Facebook through your ads. So you extend the reach of that asset outside of just the typical channels that you have right now. And then also too, if all you're relying on is an email newsletter or an email list to produce, like to distribute your content, it's a huge miss because you can take that content and then you can also push it to a retargeting audience across channels. And I have this whole concept right now of like a retargeting audience is as valuable, arguably more valuable in some cases than an actual email list and building an email list. So like an email list, before I get shot on LinkedIn, yes, I build an email list, it's super valuable. You wanna own your contacts, but a retargeting audience, like if you're gonna spend dollars, right? In terms of what I wanna, and this is why there's more of a favor in terms of gated content, because you can build an engagement pool higher and faster on natively. But essentially, if it costs you, you know, like there's B2B companies spending 40 to 200 bucks per content download, right? And then of that, their open rate is like 30%, 20%, right? Assuming even you had an open rate of 50%. And that's really good. You know, and that's good. 
that's still horrendous in terms of like the cost per and then the amount of people that actually open the email and then the click to like the click to open rate is even lower assuming five percent of the 50 open it it gets even worse so you factor all that in of the people actually finally go and check out your piece of content it's not that great versus you can build a retargeting audience i mean just to give some context I spent, this is when my mind was forever blown. I created a 24 minute YouTube video on Google ads and I pushed it as a video views campaign on, on Facebook. And I spent 65 cents to watch a 24 minute video, hundred percent of a 24 minute video. Like this was two years ago, so it was way cheaper. But I mean, even today it's still fairly cheap. So you can push your content through retargeting through these campaigns for fractions of a penny. You know what I mean? And people are just focused on LinkedIn and Facebook. There's other platforms too, like Twitter and Reddit, et cetera, that you can further distribute content if, you're, if your audience is there. So I think a lot of companies are not really seeing their retargeting audience as a nurture mechanism that it could be. So in a perfect world, you're nurturing people through email, absolutely, whatever that looks like, but you're also constantly nurturing through a retargeting audience so that you're distributing content and offers. And people are just always seeing your brand and they're getting a good experience from you because you're showing them 50% of the time content. So you're further nurturing them, you know, giving them access to those insights, but then you're also making pitches and things like that. So how are you defining like the, for the retargeting audience, like, is that the total pool of your followers on a particular channel? Is that everybody in your kind of, are you using emails? Are you trying to aggregate? Like, how are you defining that retargeting audience? Yeah, it's the total pool across your different segments. So it's web visitors, people who've been to your company page, people who've watched your videos, people that have engaged with your ads, people that are in your database. Absolutely. You can, that's where email becomes more powerful as you take that and then you can input into the channels and then you can say, hey, Facebook, go find me people that look like this, right? And this is where you can start to do lookalikes. But for retargeting specifically, it's all those different segments of people who've engaged with you some way online or they're in your database and you have a relationship with them that you can layer and leverage to just further get that reach, right? Uh, and then the cool thing that you get on the ad side that you don't get necessarily uh, when you just do things through email is you can start to measure things like frequency and reach to understand not just did somebody click on my piece of content and they went to my, you know, my asset, but how many times have they seen it? Because oftentimes like I'll get an email, I click it, I open it. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then I bookmark it and I tell, I tell myself I'm going to come back to it later, but I never do. But if you can start to measure frequency and reach and you can start to understand exposure, that's powerful because then you'll start to notice correlations where it's like, once the average person sees this piece of content six times, the performance starts to drop off. You start to hit a fit, like you start to burn the audience. There's fatigue. But essentially, the main takeaway here is like, don't just rely on one distribution channel. Start to really think of ads, not just in the terms of acquiring net new customers, but as a vehicle and a mechanism through retargeting to further nurture what you have. And then the really cool thing is when you do a good job with your retargeting pool and you've warmed this audience up well, is because you're also launching offers into this pool, you'll notice that your offers start to convert at a better rate. And if you have new ideas for new offers, instead of you launching to a cold audience that has no affinity with you whatsoever, and it's always gonna be the hardest to convert, you can launch it to your warm audience first and prove the offer 
and then tested it on, on a cold audience from there. Man, yeah, totally. So would you then suggest, so let's say you want to get into onto YouTube or TikTok or one of these channels, but you might not be active there. Like, is it worth creating ads on that channel if you aren't active yet? If your audience is hanging out there uh, like substantially, then yeah, absolutely. You can repurpose it. The, the only trap though, specific with that example, with like short form, is make sure that the content is optimized for short form, right? So you're not just like repurposing crap. But yeah, absolutely. If it makes sense. Uh, now the caveat is like, if you're not, if you don't have the existing channels working well, right? Like don't add more to your plate, you know, less is more. But yeah, when you're fully running, you want to distribute as, as much as you can across platforms. Yeah, scale distribution with with paid ads and be able to just kind of put some rocket fuel behind it. I think one and the CPMs vary so much by channel, so it's like ridiculously cheap. Especially like the whole thing with Twitter. Twitter was always cheap, but now since Elon Musk took over, like all these huge brands are pulling spend, and it's even cheaper, which is crazy. So you know when there is chaos, also provides opportunity, so you can use it as you see fit. Before we wrap up, and this has been a super fun combo, I think. One of the things I know we've talked about in the past too is this idea of when you have a really good organic channel that helps paid, like that gives you a much better retargeting audience, right? Like when you, if you have 10, 20, 30, 100,000 followers on any given channel as a brand or a company that you've built up, you've built up all this goodwill with these people. And it's like, that's such a different way to target it ties back in with like the gated side and all that where like somebody who opts into a gated piece of content like eh you know they they may like how warm is that lead right or somebody who comes to your blog like okay maybe they just were looking for information they weren't they weren't looking for it somebody who follows you on a channel again tough to know a hundred percent but like if you're following a brand on the channel, like you've opted into that brand in some way, shape or form that you like them. It's, you know, you're not just following a random brand. And so like then to be able to retarget that person and be able to show them ads, if they leave, if they, you know, end up, maybe they're not an audience anymore. Cool. Like they're not for us right now. A hundred percent. It's ridiculously powerful. I, I always look at the, the big influencers, like all their followers and everything like that. I'm like, then they like never run ads. I'm like, if you just ran a retargeting campaign, you would make so much money. It's ridiculous because they've already built the audience, et cetera. They already have this massive pool of people that they can retarget to. And depending on the platform, the limitations will change. But yeah, absolutely. The stronger you're doing organically, the easier it's going to be for demand creation on paid. And then where things really start to scale is because you're pushing all this content through ads, right? All of that interactions with the content further add to your existing retargeting segments, right? So the more video views you get, the bigger your video views audience becomes, uh, the more web visitors you're getting, the bigger your web visitor. So it starts to scale. And what you'll notice too is like, you're pushing content, it's resonating, et cetera. You're optimizing in terms of cost and engagement, but it's also building your retargeting pools further and your retargeting pools have a mixture of not just more content, but also offers. So more people are now eligible to see your offers, right? And you can drive more direct conversions and ultimately lead to more pipeline and revenue. So it all just feeds each other, which is super exciting. And then the goal is to get to the point where you have too much good quality content and you have to tell the team from a paid perspective, like, chill out. <laughs> we only have so much budget. We can't push all those different pieces. We have to prioritize. 
I like that though. Like, I think that's a perfect way to wrap the episode because it ties directly back into how we started the conversation, which was like, you've got this content manager and this demand gen manager and like, how do they work together and how do they do this thing together? And I think ultimately it's a yin and yang and it's these two pieces. It's the Venn diagram where they meet in the middle where organic is helping building a brand and like, why are we just doing this brand building thing? Well, when you tied it back in with this retargeting audience, like it's so powerful. We're not just like trying to get a hundred thousand followers or 20,000 followers just for the heck of it. Like we can now use that audience in a way that helps amplify. And then from the pure content creation standpoint, the more of that high quality stuff that you're creating, like, you know, Hey guys, we have too much. Well, that's perfect because ad fatigue, content fatigue. I've seen this thing. I've, you know, I'm not used to this or, Hey, we've got, if you're creating enough unique kind of content around different themes, you can test different themes with the audience and say, Oh, when we talk about X, Y, and Z, they love it. When we talk about that, like, don't talk about this anymore. And hopefully like those things are a blended conversation to where it's like, if you're actually communicating and working well together with your demand gen team or your demand gen leader, like, knowing what content's performing well can influence what you create six months from now to say like, I didn't realize that one was going to be that positive. Like we should probably create something else or maybe we better make a template that goes off this info stuff that we're like, it really can spin out and help you create more content. Yeah, I think the big and a big miss too when it comes to paid and perception of paid ads is People think of paid ads, they just think of, I'm going to drive sales directly, right? Direct response. But paid ads, it could be used for multiple things. One is absolutely driving direct response. Two is further distributing content, like getting visibility. But then another one too is for just feedback and testing. So what messaging angles work well? What content pieces work well, right? All that like paid ads is just a way for you to scale your assets and get real-time feedback which is extremely powerful because then you can use that in many different ways. If you don't even have a business yet and you have different ideas for products that you wanna launch, you can run small pilots of paid ads to your target audience and get real-time feedback and validate ideas before you even build. So that's kind of how I think about paid. It's like, it's a way for me to guarantee visibility and get feedback in real time, which then can be used in multiple use cases and applications. Yeah. And like you said, depending on what channel, audiences, all those things, like it might not be insane, like from a cost perspective for you to even do that. Like you can be smart in how you're running those tests. And when you're combining great content and paid ads, you're creating influence at scale when you really think about it, because you're building this asset that actually is unique, insightful, et cetera. And then you're pushing it out there so that people start to create an affinity with you, right? Like you're literally creating influence at scale. And then you start to layer in retargeting as well, because it doesn't just take one touch point to really build a relationship, right? It's going to take multiple touch points and then it just feeds and it just grows. So it's pretty powerful. If people do want to learn more about retargeting, I created a whole YouTube video going over like the exact process in terms of how I break it out. Definitely check that out. But yeah, don't sleep on paid distribution. For all the content folks listening, in terms of promotion, simplest thing you can do is just start to set up campaigns where you push, let's just call it a, you know, $25 a day on whatever new content piece you, you create it and you push it towards a very targeted audience that you would love for them to see that. And that's a great way to get started. 
Love it. Well, this has been awesome. I know I've learned a ton and it was fun just to jam on it. And we went way longer than I thought, but that's usually a sign of good content. I feel like we could even go longer. So awesome, man. Hey, we'll uh, we'll chat soon. And uh, thanks for coming on. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First. And thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so, so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are going to help you build your brand, 10x your content, and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.